Yeah, I have been cracked open plenty of times. And just when I think I can, my heart can't break anymore, it breaks open even more. And I mean that in both happy terms and sad terms. It's heartbreaking. And at the same time, as your heart's breaking, you're seeing how big it can stretch. It's incredibly beautiful. back to start here to connect literally we start here in this space learning how to connect not only with our children or our future children but most importantly with ourselves if we haven't met before hi there i'm ines natalia your host and your fellow sister in your growth journey today's conversation is very very special it is created especially for you who's considering the options of either foster care or adoption. And as usual, we're going to have a real parent sharing her real stories on fostering. We have Janelle Velo here with us. Janelle is a conscious coach and child advocate. She is a foster mom who has fostered 10 children and youth in just the last four years. She really believes how nourishing relationships can bring about healing and ultimately end generational trauma and patterns. Hi, Janelle. Welcome. Hi, Inez. Thank you for that warm welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I have butterflies. Um, I have no idea where this conversation is going to go, but it's, I'm, I'm excited. All right, so I think we really should start from the basic, basic, right? Because it seems to me that some people might still have a little bit difficulty in distinguishing the difference between adoption and foster care and probably find it a little bit challenging to align their uh, intention and expectation accordingly. So then how do you, Janelle, really explain the difference to distinguish the difference between fostering? And adopting. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Well, fostering, which is what I do, is supposed to be temporary. So there's the Child Protection Services, and they take children out of unsafe conditions and place them in homes where they will be able to be cared for until their biological family or until they're more permanent. Um, home situation is deemed safe and ready to take them back. So fostering is supposed to be temporary. As a foster parent, you are there for, you don't even know how long. Sometimes the placement can be 24 hours or less. And sometimes it could be until the child is 18, 19, or until they age out of the system. Whereas adoption, you will be considered the legal guardian the legal parent of that child. So that's the difference. Foster care, you are working with social workers and bio families. So when I say bio, I'm, it's short for biological. So you're working with, between um, the biological families and the social workers and other health professionals just trying to get this child into a safe, safe home and safe space versus adoption. You really are becoming the the mom, the dad for life. Yeah. 
from that one answer, I feel like <laughs> I already have tons you have of questions. <laughs> yeah, just for example, right? When you mentioned that you don't really know, it can be 24 hours or mm-hmm. it can be up until they are 18. So mm-hmm. are you saying that in the beginning when you, when you say yes, when you finally get this placement, so then the social worker didn't really, they don't really tell you how long will the child be in your house? Yeah, well, they, they try to tell you because that's only fair to you as a foster parent. So they try to have an idea of how long you're going to have this child for, but you really never know what tomorrow brings. There are so many different layers to this. There are so many people involved and circumstances can change at the very last minute. I've seen people who have been told the child will only be there for the weekend and they just needed this emergency placement and then they end up adopting that child. I've also seen situations where you're told you're going to have them for a year. So you sign the contract that says you are agreeing to care for them for a year and then two months later you're told, you know, bio mom or bio dad or grandparents have come into the picture and they're willing and ready to care for the child. So start packing up their things because in two weeks they'll be out of your home. So you never know. And social workers, they will do their best to give you um, some kind of plan and some kind of structure, but it's really difficult. So you kind of need to be ready for anything when you are given that first phone call and you're asked, can you take this child? Yeah so important i think to to know this so that mm-hmm. uh, foster parents can also align the expectations before taking up such a huge commitment right so let's start from a very simple question why did you <laughs> like to foster <laughs> why you know i still sometimes will will have moments where i'm like why did i decide to do this <laughs> Not with regret, but just with deep reflection because this is quite an adventure. And so I'll still have moments where I'm like, wow, how did I get here? (laughs) But to give you an idea of how I was introduced to the fostering world, my parents were foster parents for, I think it's been over a decade now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) really long, Um, but they have been caring for foster kids for a while. And so I was familiar with Um, the role as foster sister. So I got to support my um, parents' children and they, um, I was foster sister, I was support worker for some of them, which would mean I would take them out during the day to their after school programs or maybe support them in their classrooms. Um, And that's kind of how I got actually involved Um, with the agency that my mom was is with so they do fostering but they also do support work for children in the in the community so that's what I was doing a lot of these kids have special needs and a lot of them are in the foster care system and my mom was the first person to encourage me she's like you know why don't you tell the program manager that you want to foster kids and I kind of let that just marinated my mind a bit. I didn't jump to that, to, to, to agreeing to it right away. But then one afternoon, I just felt like, you know, I should just do it. I have the bedrooms. I have empty bedrooms in my home. And even though I wasn't the primary care- caregiver of the kids that stayed with our family, I still had a front row seat to the pain 
and to the need and to the, the injustices of the foster care system and just um, also seeing the healing that can take place and the redemption that can happen. And I think knowing what I knew and having the spare bedrooms that I had, I couldn't not do it. It was like, I can't turn a blind eye on this. If I have the resources and I feel called to it, although I was terrified and unsure and uncertain how, if, if I was able to do it, if I was up to the task, I just went for it. I kind of closed my eyes and I made the email and I told the program manager, you know, I'm ready to start the process. Let's, let's just do this. Oh, so that's how I started. Wow. The start of the roller coaster ride. Yeah, a complete roller coaster. And it was really quick because after that email, within two months, I had my first placement and they were two kids, a sibling set. And I know that you started at a very young age. Yeah, yes. I was... I was 24 when I started. So I was out of college. I started working as the support worker. Um, and two of the kids that I was supporting in the community, they, they ended up being my first placement. They needed an emergency placement. And they, they only trusted me and they knew me already. And so it seemed like a right fit. And so they expedited the process of the home study that you have to do before becoming a certified foster parent. Uh, or a licensed foster parent. And so, and it's funny because a lot of the kids will, would, were like, are you sure you're my foster mom? You're like 15. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess to them, I just seem too young. And so they're like, you're not my foster mom, are you? <laughs> kids just like, they, they don't hold anything back. And so they would always question me. They'd be like, do I have to listen to you? <laughs> you're not my mom. Or... <laughs> Yeah, they would just say funny things like that. But yeah, I started quite young. Well, and I know that probably parents who already have children might also consider to foster, right? Mm -hmm. Like receiving a child in their house together with their children, together with their yes. biological children. And since you you were um, you were their foster sister, I think I also would love to know how did it feel for you growing up with you know, foster kids mm. in the house? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when my mom told me that she was going to do this, I was so excited. And I was like, we should have done this years ago. <laughs> so I can, I think I can speak for both. I mean, for, for myself and for my sister and brother that we were all really excited. Um, and I took every child that came into every child that came into our home, I, I just took to them right away. I was so eager to get to know them, to spoil them, get to know what they like, give them gifts. And I was really, I, I felt like my siblings and I, and I had a lot of love to give. And I think that's the same. I mean, I don't want to say every child will, will feel this way if their parents decide to take foster kids into their home. But I have a hunch that this is how most kids are. You know, kids have a lot of love to give. And they don't really, they're not stuck in the why is this kid here or who is this kid. They, they kind of just see them as a friend instantly. You know, when you go play on the playground, you see a kid and you're like, hey, do you want to be my best friend? Yeah. <laughs> and then instantly you're friends. 
kids have that ability to, to take to people like that. And so that's how we were with the foster kids that came into our home. We didn't see them as foster kids. We just saw them as, you know, whoever, whatever their name was. And they just lived with us and we loved them and they were no different than us. And my mom can be your mom too. And my dad is your dad too. You know, it, it wasn't, there was no competition. There was no um, fear. There's a lot of learning. <laughs> There's a lot of learning and we were exposed to, to see a lot of the, um, the hurt. So I think that was the culture shock, perhaps you can call it, is seeing, wow, not every kid has what I have. And that makes me very lucky and I feel very grateful for that. And that makes me want to give more love to the kids that come into our home. I think that was the, the awakening or the growing up that I had as a foster sister. Wow. That sounds like an incredible, incredible lessons for kids to learn how to be grateful, to learn how to share, to learn that love is abundant and I can even share my parents with you. That's incredible for a kid to learn. Yes. I, I mean, I think that will also depend on the age of the child, but I'm sure that I feel like the parents, like if parents, if you decide, if you decide to foster and you have kids of your own already, you will probably learn from your own kids how to care or how to welcome this new child. I would take their lead and see how, how open arms and open-minded they are to all of this. And that's such a powerful, powerful statement because I can imagine that uh, parents might think that, oh, I need to teach my kid how mm -hmm. to share. I need to teach my kid how to show love to other kids. But that's a very powerful statement when you say that the parents probably need to learn from their kids because the kids are the teachers. Yeah, they are. I mean, the parents can guide and give a little bit of ex explanation that's age appropriate, but there's so much to learn from kids. So yeah, I would follow their lead. All right. Oh, wow. Amazing. So you shared quite a lot of the nice stories, some of the lessons <laughs> you got when you were the foster sister, right? So now when you are already a foster parent right now, what do you truly love the most about your experience in the past four years fostering 10 kids and youth so far? Like what do you truly <laughs> love about this? What do I truly love about it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think I love the experience because it's given me the opportunity to see and feel true unconditional love, true unconditional love. It's been an incredible playground for me to grow up and evolve. Oh my goodness. I mean, you hear mothers and fathers say this all the time. You know, this love is like no other love that I've ever experienced. And that's the same thing here. Foster mom, biological mom, it doesn't matter. Where we're the same is the love that we feel for these, for these kids. So I think that's what I've enjoyed the most is um, being able to see these kids for who they are and in the moment and for where they're at when I get them. and then being able to give them love, being able to receive love. Sometimes I don't even <laughs> receive the love though. You know, these, these kids come from hard situations. And so when I say unconditional love, I don't necessarily mean that they're giving me unconditional love, but I'm able to give them unconditional love. And that is incredibly fulfilling. 
Yeah, it sounds like the kind of experience that really can crack your heart open. And oh yeah, you know how much love you have there. Yeah, yeah, I have been cracked open plenty of times, and just when I think I can't, my heart can't break anymore, it just it breaks open even more. And I mean that in both happy terms and sad terms. It's heartbreaking, and at the same time, as your heart's breaking, you're seeing how. Big, it can stretch. It's it's incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I I also hear a lot of stigma around foster kids are equal to troubled kids, as in they're coming mm. from difficult families or they have some background that's probably very difficult for them, and in a way shaping their behavior, and it it might be perceived as difficult. What mm-hmm. what would you say about that? Well, I would say, of course, <laughs> of course, they're going to behave and in, in whatever way they're behaving. And we call it difficult. I mean, look at what they've come from. These people are, or these children are coming from so much pain. And to, for them to be uprooted out of their home, out of their families and placed into a stranger's home, I say they have every right to kick and scream and yell and cry and question and protest. Because you would do the same thing as an adult. If you were up, I mean, look at the world right now, given the circumstances we're living in and how much trouble we're having adjusting to it and we're so badly wanting our old life back. Um, just, I mean, all the more for these kids. Of course, they're not going to like the bedroom that you show them. Like you spent, I remember this, I spent weeks preparing a bedroom and painting it, and decorating it. And I was so excited and I loved what I did to the bedroom. And then I wanted the kids to be so thankful and be as excited as I was. But of course, when they see the bedroom, they're not going to be seeing what I see. They're going to be thinking, I want my old room back. I don't even want to be here. That's not even my bed. That's not my bed sheet. That's not, I hate those toys, <laughs> you know? So they have every right to be protesting and behaving in whatever way they are behaving in. And it's up to us to give them the space to feel those emotions. And it's up to us to see the hurt and the pain behind that behavior. They're not troubled kids. They are going through troubled times that you and I can't even imagine. And we have to empathize with these kids. I think that's very important for people and for parents to really understand the difference between troubled kids, which when we started to label the kids as troubled, and what you mentioned before, These are kids who experienced troubled times. So then mm-hmm. we, need, we need to have such a huge, huge compassion to understand that these kids are not difficult. It's just indeed they've been gone through so much and we need to have such a high level of empathy. And I feel that this message is even not only important for people who are considering to foster, even biological parents sometimes forget that, you know, kids feel and they have difficult experiences they experiencing big feelings so it's not that they're behaving badly 
they are processing that, right? Yes, absolutely. This isn't a message just for foster parents or people considering fostering. This is for every parent that these kids are humans. They're little humans. And whatever you go through emotionally, they are also going through emotionally. And when we act out in our ways, whatever way we're acting out, whether that's opening up a bottle of wine and finishing it at the end of the day all to ourselves or downing a whole pint of ice cream. I mean, we act out as adults in so many different ways, and yet we don't give our children the same space to do that. And for them, that's usually showing up as screaming, kicking, throwing things, tantruming. They, they have um, the right to, to be human, and they have a right to to be as messy as we are. Yeah, that's so true. We need to allow them to just be as messy as we are because sometimes, yes. sometimes adults feel, oh, I am the adult. <laughs> I'm not messy. I'm so organized and in structure. So let me teach my kid how to be, yeah. you know, <laughs> shaping yeah. my kid to be a good one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we're allowed to, we're allowed to um, you know, go drink however many glasses of wine and yet our kids need to be perfect poster children they need to be obedient and quiet quiet and polite and well behaved and you know that's just it's ridiculous they're humans too (laughs) yeah that's so true well i think one of the big questions here and i know that a lot of people who are considering to foster will ask is how do you deal with the very fact that these kids already have life before meeting you right how do you actually connect with the kids in front of you who already have something different in their their life before meeting you that's a great great question i i mean i even struggled with this because in the very beginning i had all these fantasies about what kind of mother i would be and um in hindsight i see now that i wanted to be needed and loved and I wanted to be a hero and to be a savior. <laughs> and I had to grow up and reparent myself and, and make sure that I filled those holes within myself because it's no child's job to fill that for me. So I struggled um, in, in, in where my role was. So if, if I saw the biological family and they were they had all these nicknames for their child during the visit and they had all these inside jokes i felt threatened and i felt hurt like oh no there's like this competition i think this was all subconscious at the time um until i really deconstructed it but i think in hindsight i I see that i was hurt and i thought wow if the kid loves their biological mom that much then I guess they don't love me mm-hmm. as if the child can't love both as if both biological mom and me aren't important to this child. So I had to learn how to empathize with, with, with this, with these children's families. So I had to see that I was just one piece to the puzzle, but I was an important piece just as bio mom, bio dad, bio family are important, so am I. And I had to humanize them and not see them as a threat and not see them as, um, not see the situation as them versus me, like safety versus danger. No, that's not what it is. What it is is all of us adults trying to do the best we can to care for these kids. 
So what helped for me was seeing the inner child in the bio parents, because Mm. then I could see, wow, they were in pain and they are still in pain. And now these are just patterns that are playing out. And when I was able to see the pain of, of the bio families, then I was able to empathize with them. And when I saw the inner child in them, because, you know, a lot of these, um, a lot of the parents were foster kids themselves. Oh, wow. Yes. So that's very common where these parents had the exact same troubled background. Many of them were in and out of foster care or moved from different relatives to different, yeah, different families. Um, and they went through the same thing and now they're adults having kids themselves. And so the pattern is just playing out. And so when I saw them as, saw them for their inner children screaming out and needing help, um, then I was able to empathize with them and show compassion and have much more patience for them. And I was able to extend my love to not just the child, but to their parents. And that is so important. It would, it, it doesn't make sense to love this child and not love their parents no matter what their parents did. I, I, you, it's, it's incredibly different, difficult, I mean, sometimes, but you have to. You have to humanize every person in the picture and see that these are just patterns, generational trauma playing out, and everyone's doing the best they can. Yeah. It sounds to me that it requires a huge, huge heart and compassion to take on this commitment and experience because, I mean... Sometimes definitely it's easier said than done to not judge other human being that we feel, ah, you hurt my kid. You put pain in this kid that I care so much. And it's so difficult to not judge, to not see the black and white, to not, to not say that, oh, I'm, I'm the good person here and you are the bad one, and I want to protect my kid from you. And what you said before, seeing them not only as you are the biological parent to this child, but also to see them as human being, experiencing their own trauma, experiencing their own hardship, and have the courage to see their inner children, you mentioned before, to, to really see that no matter what, you are human beings who experience the, the difficult times in life. And I need to have compassion to understand that, to have, to have really love for you as well. Yeah, yes. And it's, it takes a lot of humility and you have to let go of your ego. I mean, imagine the things that some of these parents have done. And I don't want to paint this picture that all of the bio families have done something terrible to their child. Um, there's many different ways that a child will end up in foster care. But if you think about the worst of the worst of what a parent would do to a child, even in those circumstances, to have some kind of mercy and love for that parent takes a lot of humility and a lot of courage. And it's not easy I'm not saying it's easy. I don't just love these parents who do terrible things um, naturally. It, 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 it really requires me to humble myself and to, to realize that there's no one's better than the other. We're all just humans. We're all messy. And all of our messes look different. And some of our messes are violently um, dangerous. But at the end of the day... I have to see these parents as human 
And that's, that's another way of loving this child is loving where they came from. Yeah. Would you feel comfortable to explain, to probably just paint the picture a little bit to us who never fostered before? For example, in the spectrum of a very, very mild case, like just very light case to the extremely difficult or violent or scariest one, right? Like in that spectrum, could you give us an example of those cases that you already faced before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess a, a light or case, I for lack of a better word, would be where the parents are, let's say two parents are arguing and they're trying to figure it out and they are struggling maybe financially as well and they just need some help um, because they are un able or unfit in that moment to properly care for their kids, like getting their kids to school on time, um, feeding their kids the meals that they need. Basic needs, when basic needs are being compromised for the kids, that's when social services might step in. Now, an extreme, extreme case would be um, some of these kids being molested, um, physical violence, maybe even live being in, um, in the middle of dangerous situations, such as maybe there's maybe drugs and addiction that's going on in the family. Those would be more of the extreme cases. And when I say extreme, I mean like um, dangerous for the child. Yeah. However, they are common. Yeah. So I'm not saying extreme is rare. Those extreme cases are quite common. During preparing this conversation, this interview, right, I also did a little bit research and did some reading on how usually the foster kids cannot really see that the parents are probably having these issues. What I read from different kind of articles, it said that sometimes the kids find it difficult to understand that the parents can be uh, a threat to them as in I'm not I don't want to say the parents can be a threat to them but then the situation that the parents mm-hmm. are in right now can be as you mentioned before can be dangerous or too risky for the kid to be in right so as a foster mom how would you feel when when you understand that the kid is in this extreme situation it is in an extreme risk and you know that you want to protect the kid but then the moment when the social worker probably tell you that, oh, there will be an expiry date and then you actually need to, you know, give back the kit to the bio family. I can imagine that you have this, you know, the protectiveness side of you as a mom will be like, oh, I still want to ensure that the kid is safe. I don't feel comfortable to give it back to the bio family. Have you ever experienced that? And how would you deal with that? I have definitely experienced that. I think um, I think most, if not all of my goodbyes, I've experienced that where I start to feel anxious and I, I have a bunch of questions and I, and I really advocate for the child. That's when you must advocate for the child. Yes, you are foster mom and it is, they're not yours forever, but you were their parent and you were their 24-7 person for however long you had them for. And it's absolutely vital that you step up to the plate and 
question all of the professionals that are involved in making the decision to return the child home. So asking, is this safe? Is this the right decision for and the right move for the child's well-being? So you have to be the advocate in that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, it's incredibly difficult because you don't really have control. You can say your opinions, but at the end of the day, the final decision will not be in your hands. And so when it comes to how we talk about this to the kids themselves, it's, it's just filling them with hope and you know, saying to these kids, your social worker or so-and-so, whoever is the adult that's, um, that these kids trust, you have to say, you know, they believe that this is the best move for you and mommy now. And mommy's ready now. She was sick, but she's ready to take care of you. And she's so excited to have you back home. And I will always be here a phone call away. You can um, trust that everyone is making sure that you and mommy are going to be safe and happy and just filling them with hope because in that moment, what else can you do as a foster mom when you've done what you can and the decision is still that these kids are going to go back home, then you have to, you have to be hopeful. You can't, I, myself, I have to make that shift from fear-based energy to coming from a place of abundance and saying, you know what? Maybe when these kids were placed with me, their parents weren't ready and that's why they were with me. But now maybe this is their second chance. And I, and I have to root for the parents in that moment. I have to hope and I have to pray that they will be the most amazing mom or dad or whoever it is to the, to the kid. And um, yeah, talking to the kids, you just got to make it age appropriate. And then it's a lot of talking to yourself as well. You know, this is the time to let go. They were never supposed to be here forever. And I have to question myself, if, if I'm having a hard time, I have to ask myself, okay, what in me is coming up? Why am I so afraid to let go? Where is this coming from? And I have to, I have to also talk to my own inner child, who's probably so fearful and is <laughs> trying to, you know, give her opinion. I have to talk to her as well. Yeah. And can you actually be still in touch in contact with the kids? Sometimes. So there may be some boundaries put in place. Every circumstance is different. For example, with my, with one of my placements, I went on vacation and then I had expected to still be in their lives when I returned. But then I was told that that won't be the case anymore. So I never got to say an official goodbye. I never even got to give them their belongings face to face. So their bedrooms were still with their thing, filled with their things. I had their bikes still. I had their shoes still. So I had all these things and I just, I put it in a box and I gave it to the social worker and I just hoped that the social worker would give it back to the kids. But I don't know. I don't, I never got to say goodbye. And that's incredibly difficult because now there's no closure in the form-based sense of it, right? Yeah, it sounds so difficult. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't want that. That's a sad situation. <laughs> but there's also situations where you do stay in touch. And I've also experienced those where I've become really close with their bio families and I stay um, in touch with them. I still check in on them. I actually have one um, – 
one little kid. I'm, I'm, if I'm stuttering, it's because I'm trying to not reveal um, private information, but still explain to you everything. So I still have one kid who returned home, but I am incredibly close with the child's parent, and that child still comes over for sleepovers. So there's also those kind of situations where you do stay in touch and, and the family unit now is bio family and previous foster family. And we're kind of this really um, non-typical image of a family for this child. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. Like that's the ideal, right? That is the ideal. Absolutely. That is the ideal. What's funny is um, I think I can say this. Yeah. So this child, child lives with his biological father, um, but he calls him mama. <laughs> so, okay. so at the time, he was learning mama and dada during this transition, right? And then I guess he just decided to assign this his his father as mama. And we he couldn't shake that off. Like we couldn't we couldn't change his mind about it. So to this day. He's still mama. And what's funny is my fiance is dada. So, <laughs> so if you hear him talk about mama and dada, it's not the mama and dada that you're imagining in your mind. It's his foster dad and his bio dad, which is really, really kind of strange, but super precious. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, my yeah. God. Who usually decide whether you can be still in touch with the kid? Is it the bio family usually? Yeah, the bio family for sure has a say in that. Um, and then also the social worker. So together they will discuss, um, you know, how you guys are going to keep the foster family in, in, in the lives of the children. Um, that's why it's so important, though, to have to build a strong bond to the bio family. So when you foster, there's often a lot of visits that are happening. So, I mean, for example, there could be three visits a week and this happens every week for a year until the child goes back and this is to maintain contact with bio family so if you are about to foster I strongly suggest nourishing and fostering the relationship with the bio parents as well because that is going to make the transition when they go home a lot easier a lot lighter there's not going to be resentment there's not going to be fear. There's only going to be love. So it's so important to make sure that you are also fostering and nourishing that relationship with them. And if you can, because sometimes you can't even have contact with bio family, but if you're given the opportunity to talk to them, have conversations with them, build some kind of bond, build some kind of trust, because you guys at the end of the day are both parents now to this child in their lifetime. That's such a great, great suggestion and recommendation because I can imagine that probably a lot of foster parents or future foster parents will think that, oh, the only person that I need to put my focus on will be the foster kid, will be the child. Like I need to really focus on building connection with this kid. But to me, it's still very rare for people to say that you need to build a bond with the bio family as well. That's so precious. Yes. Well, I had to learn that the hard way because I have experienced where that bond is not established. And then that's where um, it gets difficult. It becomes painful when you have to say goodbye to the child or when you have to, um, I mean, it's, it's co-parenting, but in a really different and unique way. So 
yeah, it's, I had to learn that the hard way, but it's vital. And only do it, obviously, if, if it's safe to do so, if you have permission to do so from the social workers. Like Every circumstance is different. Sometimes it's better that you don't see and have contact with the bio family. But if you're given that opportunity to build some kind of relationship, mm-hmm. do it. Do it for yourself. Do it for the kid. Do it for the bio family. Beautiful. Have you ever experienced a situation where you feel it's very difficult to connect with your foster kid? Yes. Yes, totally. Especially with emergency placements. So emergency placements um, usually happen within hours. You'll get a phone call. Hey, we need a home. Can you take this child in? And within minutes, sometimes you have the social worker and the child and all of their bags of stuff at your door. Or sometimes you don't even have bags of stuff at your door and they're just dropping the kid off. Um, and as you can imagine, that's really difficult because this child is going to have their, their own barriers up and they're not going to trust you. And it's going to be very hard to connect. A lot of the times in those situations, the kid, especially the older ones, are angry at every adult in their life. They're angry at their mom, their dad, or whoever they were living with. And they're angry at the social worker and they're angry at the driver who's dropping them off. And then when all those adults leave and it's nighttime, the only person they have to project that anger onto is you. And that is where you have to, you have to know how to breathe and be in the moment and have patience and have understanding. So I have definitely experienced where you cannot connect with a child in the beginning. And it takes a lot of patience, a lot of time. Wow. And how, how do you usually deal with that? How do you talk yourself through it? How, how do you even prepare yourself to hold the space for them? Yeah. I have learned that self-care is incredibly important. So that when I show up to these moments, I'm full already. I'm, I need to be full already because if I'm going into this, these situations tired, exhausted, impatient, angry at whatever interactions I had during my day, I'm also going to be dumping that onto the child and then we're just going to have this stormy, ugly mess. But if I'm able to be full, then I can be present. So it is so important, not just for foster parents, but for any parent to make sure that they have some kind of self-care ritual so that when they are showing up for their kids, they're giving their absolute best versions of themselves. So how I deal with it is I take it moment by moment, literally second by second, and I'm just on the breath. And this is where meditation for me has been extremely helpful because I'm able to just focus on the breath. So when when emotions are high and feelings are big and there's a lot of fear in the room, I'm breathing and I just sit there. I just sit there with the kid. I'm not here to fix anything. I'm not here to replace anybody in your life. I'm just here to give you the space to feel absolutely everything that this day has given to you. And so... That's how I deal with it. I mean, I can't even give you a concrete answer. It's hard to give you like tools and a script to say because there's no script. You have to attune to the child in front of you. Whether they're three years old or 13 years old, every child is different. And it's hard for me to give a 
cookie cutter answer. All I can say is you need to have some kind of self-care ritual where you're able to be present so that you can see the child in front of you. Because when you can see the child in front of you, then it'll be intuitive what to do next moment by moment. And you don't even know, maybe they'll be good after that one conversation, but at 3 a.m. they might have a nightmare and they might be triggered and it'll be a mess again. So you can't be anywhere but the present. So parents, please take care of yourselves so you can take care of these kids and you can see them. You can see the kid in front of you. I think that's an incredibly important suggestion and recommendations for, as I mentioned before, even it's not only for the foster parents, it's even for biological parents as well. Because indeed, parenting, it's such a full-time job. And <laughs> I love that you started with, indeed, self-care. Self-care, self-love, extremely important. Otherwise, it's very difficult for us to really see the kid for whoever it is they are at the present moment. So really meet them where they're at second by second. That's as practical as it can be. <laughs> that's really, that's, that's as practical as I could make it. And I'm sorry, I can't give anything you know, more concrete for you. But yeah, and when I say self-care, I don't just mean like make time to take a bath. I, I mean like deep self-care where you are nourishing your own self physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Are you taking care of your well-being? Are you seeing yourself? Are you filling yourself up? And that also requires doing um, deep healing work. We can't come to these relationships with these kids um, with holes. We can come to it imperfect, but we have to make sure that we are we are doing the work of filling our holes, of healing our own traumas, because these kids may trigger something within us from our own childhood. And if we're not taking care of that, then we are only going to cause more damage. Yeah, that's so true, because imagine subconsciously begging these kids to fill our holes, right? They already have their own difficulties in life. As you mentioned before, we need to show up as a whole person. We need to feel our own void rather than asking them to feel ours. Yes, absolutely. So I also know that some people who are probably listening to this right now are considering the adoption option. What will be your personal opinion about a fostering placement that leads into adoption? Yeah, well, I, I've not experienced adoption yet. I would love to. I think I've always felt called to adopt. Um, I think every child should have a family that loves them. I don't think having a family should be a privilege. I honestly think it should be a birthright. And I think it is a birthright. So um, anybody who is in the circumstances or situation where they can adopt their foster child, obviously I would say make the decision from a heart space, not a head space. You have to be in the heart when you make that decision. Yeah, coming always come from the heart space rather yes. than that space. Yeah, that's that's indeed very crucial. You also already mentioned before you touch a little bit on the fear of saying goodbyes because I know that a lot of people probably are considering adoption rather than fostering because of this particular fear, the fear of 
are not really fear. Also, the longing of having the child for the rest of their life rather than just for a temporary um, space and time, right? So what would you say for these people who are who don't really want to considering fostering because of this particular fear? Yeah, well, I've, I've hear it a lot. People saying, oh, I could never foster because I could never say goodbye. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> saying goodbye is not fun. But when we say that, then we discount the ability of the human heart to love unconditionally, even if the conditions say we have to give the child back. This is what I'll say. Do not foster if you don't feel it in your heart to do it. But if you do feel a little calling and you are curious about it, but this fear is holding you back, then I say to you, put that fear aside. Explore the world of fostering. Go to um, an open house meeting at an agency in your area or call child protection and, and ask, you know, where can I go if I want to if I want to learn more about fostering and explore it. Don't let that fear hold you back because the pain that you get from the goodbye doesn't compare to the love that you're going to feel in the time that you do have with them, even if that's only for a month. Well, I think you actually already shared like a lot of lessons here, tons of wisdom that you shared with us. But if you can summarize one and most important lesson, the biggest learning that you got from fostering, what would you say? The biggest lesson. Oh my goodness. The biggest lesson. The biggest, that's a, that's a deep question, Inez. <laughs> That just stops me in my tracks. You know, the biggest lesson I think is that we are all one in this human race, this human race, we are all one. And I've learned truly the meaning of oneness consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I've learned what it means when they say it takes a village because I am the village and you bio family are also the village. And I've learned that as humans, we mess up and child protection is not going to go away anytime soon. And it's there for a reason. It's there to protect kids. But I've learned to see the human in every single character that's involved, every single person that's involved in the system, the social worker, the tired, overworked social worker with 200 cases on their desk. And I've, I've learned to see the human in the bio families who do and just can do the worst of the worst, but also who may just need a break. And I see now the human in every child that comes to me, difficult behavior, everything. Um, I've learned to see the human in, in evil, if that makes sense. That's the biggest lesson that I've gotten is to see the inner child of every single person and see the pain that could result when those inner children are not healed. And I think, I honestly think that when we heal our children and when we give them the best nourishing relationships, then that's how we heal the world. And that's, you know this, that's what conscious parenting, that's the message. That's the ultimate message is that we heal kids 
and we make sure that we heal ourselves and we make sure that we're not, we're not passing on our pain to these kids. And that's how we will heal the world. And I know that sounds really ideal <laughs> and fantasy like, but I believe that's what I'm doing with every child. I'm giving them a chance to, to grow up and be healthy, whole individuals so that they can stop the patterns, they can stop the trauma, they can stop the generational cycle of, um, of pain. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I feel you deeply. Oneness, consciousness, indeed, and to, to learn to, to not see good versus bad, to see that everything is really not black and white, to see, to see the angel in evils, to know that to know that like everything is just is and we see the human in them and we are all one. That's, that's extremely powerful. So before we close this conversation, my very, very last question to you, what will be your personal tips and recommendation for our fellow listeners who are currently considering to foster or something that you personally wish someone has told you before? Yeah. I would say um, know that it's going to feel lonely. So go and find your village. Go and find the people who are going to take care of you. So I would really advise and recommend to reach out to other foster parents or people who have fostered in the past and let them mentor you. Let them tell their stories and their experiences. You can reach out to me as well. But you need to find people who, have, who are in the trenches and doing this work and let them tell you what they've gone through because you are going to, you need to find your people. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'm out on the playground and I'll have five different kids with me and they're all different skin colors and I look like I'm bringing the United Nations of babies to the <laughs> monkey bars. None of them look, look like me. And so everyone looks at me like, who are you and what kind of business are you running? Um, <laughs> And it's hard to explain this to other parents and you can't even disclose a lot of information and you have to protect the identity of these kids and you can't, it's hard for other people to understand. So if you can connect with other foster parents and get into, become a part of that community, then you'll feel supported. And also what I wish someone would have told me is that I am not just a foster mom. Mm -hmm. So I get a lot of questions like, oh, where's their real mom? Or when are you going to have your real kids? Or <laughs> things that make me feel like what I'm doing is small, irrelevant, not enough. And I would tell people, you are not just their foster parent. You're not just their care provider, giving them their basic needs. Yeah. In the moment that you have with them, you are everything. You're everything. Especially at bedtime when they have no one else to turn to and they can't call their bio family or their social worker or their counselor, you know, you're all they have. You're their whole world in so many moments and don't discount that. And don't let anyone else make you feel like you're not real. The love that you're giving to them is the same as any other mother or father is giving to their biological children. So take away the titles foster, take away the titles bio, biological, at the end of the day, this, this bond that you have with this child is sacred. And the impact you are going to have on these children is going to reach far beyond your knowing 
you don't even know the ripple effects of what your love is doing to them. And so stand in that power, be empowered by that, and know that you're not just a foster parent. You're everything to them. Yeah, you're everything to them. That's, that's a way to close this indeed. I know that this, is, this work, this journey and experience is totally not for the faint heart. It, it really takes an incredible, huge amount of strength and compassion to, to really do this. And thank you so much for being such a role model and an inspiration and sharing this work of love that you've been doing. Oh, well, thank you for allowing me to speak my heart out. Uh, you don't, you know, I don't always have this opportunity to share this. So when someone asks me to share my experience, I am so ready to because this is the life of so many children and they deserve to have the world know about it. Um, and I'm so thankful that you've given me this platform. And I'm so happy that you even made this platform. I'm so excited for the conversations that you're going to have with other parents. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle. I really, really appreciate this. I hope this can be very useful for those who are considering fostering. I surely learned so, so, so much from Janelle. I also personally think that this conversation can also be a beautiful reminder for parents with their own biological children right because connection is not to be taken for granted but it requires some huge huge chunk of inner work to see the child for where is they are not our projection and how the sacred bond between parent and child can have a magical impact and power whether you have the child for only 24 hours or for the rest of their life. Thank you for tuning in today friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you like it, don't forget to share this with your family and friends. Also feel free to request a particular topic or drop me a question via email or on Instagram at Inez Natalia. And let's connect again soon in the next episode. I hope I don't get too emotional during this. It's just that it's their birthday tomorrow and then I just was reflecting on the first time I got the phone call for them and so I just think it's so timely. I don't know, everything happens for a reason, right?